Okay, good evening everyone. Dashihan Miller here with our uh this week's episode of Kuden Radio, the podcast for, you know, us, right? Martial artists, self-defense practitioners, and those of us who are uh I don't know, deep into all that like martial philosophy and personal development and all that wonderful stuff, right? So I st- I still have James. I haven't lost James. That's cool, right? So anyway, um so uh you know, I I try to think about what would help uh, as as we're doing these uh, these different episodes, and so tonight we're going to take a look at uh, we're going to borrow some symbolism from uh, a couple of decades ago or maybe a decade ago, right? There was a uh, movie trilogy called The Matrix, and uh, the the cool thing about these movies, uh, and if you know the backstory, right? Uh, like Keanu Reeves had to read like five books on everything from human potential to quantum physics to all that kind of stuff before he was actually allowed to, to look at the script. At least that's the story that I have from him. So unless he was pulling the wool over people's eyes, that's what I have. Anyway, um, but there are two key principles for success and personal mastery and whatnot in each of these, uh, in each of the episodes and each of the parts, right? Uh, they were, again, it was a trilogy, right? So whether you considered them to be sequels or whatever, right? So, um, the the one big analogy, right, was this idea of a red pill, blue pill kind of thing. And I know in today's modern politics, they're using this analogy, but what they're doing, it's it's close, right? But what we're looking at is what are we willing to swallow, but what are we telling ourselves, okay? So what we're going to do during this episode is take a look at some of the lessons that I got both within uh, the Bujinkan, uh, within Ninjutsu, uh, as and also from like my Mikio teacher and some other mentors that I've had that have to do with um, making a mental shift, right? Um, but it really comes down to this idea of what do you tell yourself when things happen? What do you tell yourself? Okay. So we'll talk about that more. All right. We'll talk about that and more, uh, when we get back and officially get started. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio. Real training for real people in a real world. Okay, we're back. All right, so James, how you doing? I'm gonna open up James over here. James is trying to hide in the, in the corner, lurking ninja. Look at that. All right, he's got this virtual background going on. I thought it was uh, that was cool. I thought he was being like all like strategic and stuff because we were referencing the, the Matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know anything about uh, those movies, um, there's all kinds of hidden uh symbolism and whatnot uh within those movies uh probably within the first 15 minutes of watching uh the very first one right um i I turned to look at my wife and i said oh my god this is like mikyo and human potential and all this stuff Uh, all these lessons all wrapped up and then glossed over or covered over with a sci-fi story so people would watch it kind of like comedians right uh you need something else sometimes to sneak truth into people right and so one of the big uh 
one of the big themes in the first episode, and it kind of kept, or I keep saying episode, but, you know, these three movies, right, that kept moving forward, right, um, was in this idea of know thyself, right? Um, this character, Morpheus, who's the mentor character, right, um, sees something, right, in this character, um, the, the, the uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Kenner Reeves character. Neo. Neo, there you go, thanks. Uh, and um, see something in him. But the lesson is, you know, if you're going to be the one, if you're going to rise to the occasion, if you're going to uh, release your full potential or live to your full potential, you have to recognize it first, right? doesn't matter what anybody else sees. Right? There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. But anyway, getting back to James' little virtual background right here. Um, in the movie, right, um, they used two colored overlays, right? Uh, kind of a gel lens in front of the camera. So when they were in the Matrix, right, so what looked like the everyday world, right, that you were supposed to wake up from, which is a huge Buddhist um, kind of uh, – term right or, or phrase um there's a slight green tint to everything right and when they're in the real world right um everything looks dark and dingy because they're, it's in the aftermath of this big war and, and things like that right but they actually there's actually a blue tint to things okay um and again it's a lot of the symbology uh on our mandala right the color blue uh represents this idea of being of unstained right uh ultimate truth kind of thing right it's kind of like the the hottest part of a flame right it's not all the yellow and orange and whatnot that people see dancing around it's the blue just under it right because what you're looking at with the orange and the and the yellow and all that are impurities in the air right above that blue being burned right so everybody's attracted it's kind of interesting right everybody's being attracted or is attracted to the beauty of the trash being burned, right? But you can barely see that blue flame, right? But if you've ever worked with um, anything from like a handheld uh, butane torch, some people use it in cooking, uh, use it in, uh, you know, if you're working with uh, soldering irons or working with like uh, metal projects or whatever, uh, or all the way up to acetylene torches, right? You're looking for that, clean clear blue flame um, because that's what cuts that's what like heats things melts that solder very, very quickly um, spot welds all those things right if you've got all these little colors jumping in it what you have are impurities and the impurities point to the fact that the, the, the flame is not as hot as it can be right so you're looking for this pure thing so it's blue right um, I found it very very intriguing just watching the movie um, and, and just seeing these references and hearing certain lessons that were being taught uh, and, and things like that, right? It just kind of, um, you know, took me back to what teachers uh, had, had said and whatnot, right? James, you saw the movie, right? Did yes, you see, I don't know if you saw all three. Um, uh, and I know how, like, lots of people could have, you know, could argue the point or whatever, but I think the gratuitous sex scene in the middle of the one movie um, that lasted, like, I don't know, 20 minutes long or whatever, um, could have been cut out and it has nothing to do with me not liking sex or whatever. It just seemed like filler, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was this huge dance scene and celebration and whatnot. You, you could have cut that to the chase, but what you really had were two 
two stories. There was a pre his awakening and then there was a post his awakening. Right. But that story ended up being much longer. Right. Mm -hmm. Because extra stuff so they split it into a part one and part two even though they made it a trilogy right part one part two but part two ends with a to be continued kind of thing right and if anybody watched and this is not a history lesson on the on the matrix but if you've seen it um i'm going to point out a couple of things but in between the first movie and the second one there was an inordinate amount of time that went on while they were making this other one, but there was a whole bunch of crap going on in the background with the production companies and, and those kind of things. And um, uh, what ended up happening was there was this uh, video that came out called the Animatrix, right? And I know I avoided it for the longest time because I thought, ah, oh, man, see, they're making a cartoon out of this cool, you know, thing or whatever. What? But what they actually did were made these little snippets and they were animated, but they made these little snippets that were pieces of the story that were key elements for understanding parts once the regular movie came out, right? Uh, and again, for those of you who watch the movie, right, and this, this will become clear here in a minute, right? If you watch the movie, um, there was this kid, right? Part two, right? They land or they go to Zion, right? And they they dock for supplies and all that kind of stuff. And this kid comes running up and it's just like he's got his nose stuck up Neo's ass and stuff. You know, it just seems like he's just needy and whatnot. Right. And just clinging to him and all that. There's a snippet. There's a 20, 30 minute. I don't know. It might be 15. Who knows? There's a short video uh, animation kind of thing in the Animatrix that explains that kid's origin story. Right. Um and it's a really, really cool thing. Uh, there was a spoon that was handed over and whatnot, right? That was passed over from, from the first movie. Um, but there were these little things that helped to, to lead in. And one of the coolest things that it was like, an, like I, I still get goosebumps when I think about it because these guys really thought deeply into the making of this movie, right? The mainframe computer in this human base settlement kind of thing, right, for – having the, the the hovercraft dock and all that, right? James, you, um, did you see the Animatrix? Did you see any of those cartoons? Uh, any of those no, cartoons? I haven't seen that. Okay. Well, one of them, it's the control group, right? Like air traffic controllers, but they're hover hovercraft controllers, right? And their screen is um, one of our mandala. Really? Yeah. That's cool. So, like I said, there was all this hidden symbology um, that really helped kind of navigate the lessons and, and those kind of things, right? So, uh, but there were the, all these archetypes that were being used and, and whatnot, as there is in a lot of movies. Uh, the, the best movies that make, like, tons and tons of money, right? If you understand the archetypes and these universal stories that have been around since Plato's time and all that, right? Um they, they gravitate toward them, like the hero's journey, the reluctant hero, those kind of things, right? Um, and it's it calls to us, right? It, um, psychology and, and even Mikio points to these things where it reaches deep inside of us and calls those things out. The, the question is, is when you get that calling or when you get that that drive or dream or vision or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, how much are you willing to do to make it happen, 
right? So again, in the movie, there's this analogy of this red pill, blue pill kind of thing, right? So uh, Neo's going to pulled in, right? And he's given this option, right? Um, you know, I'm offering you truth. That's it, right? Which is what all that any teacher or mentor offers, right? They're not offering uh, a bed of roses, right? They're not offering anything like that. They're offering truth. The question is, is does the student want it? And do they want it bad enough that they're willing to stick out the ride, right? So uh, there's this red pill, blue pill moment, right? Where he says, look, you know, you take the red pill and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If you take the blue pill, you go back to sleep, you wake up tomorrow morning, tell yourself anything you want to tell yourself. But the reality is that's the decision that we have every time a challenge faces us, right? Um, along the path, right? You know, um, and there's, there's this, there's this interesting phenomenon that goes on, right? So, and again, this is just a story, right? Since so I, well, you know, if we look at, um, some of my weird hobbies, right? Like brain wiring and all those psychology things and whatnot, right? What we find is that you've got this, among others, you have this, like this little spot in your brain, right? It's called the amygdala, right? Not amygdala, right? It's not like the Star Wars chick, right? So the amygdala, right? And the amygdala is your early warning system, right? Its, its job is to look out for danger. Part of its job is to look out for danger, right? Anything that threatens the system. So if we go all the way back to caveman times, right? Um, that was the, who knows, the saber-toothed tiger or the whatever, right, that was going to eat you or the other clan I was going to take and come and take your hunt and your women and your kids and whatever, right? Um, so we're wired to watch out for things like that. But in modern times, right, there's other things that we can be afraid of, right? We can be afraid of poverty. We can be afraid of loneliness. We can be afraid. And even that's wired to the old days with clans and whatnot, right? One of the reasons that shunning and I know in the church it's called excommunication, but being um, outed, right? Kicked out of the clan, right? It wasn't just as easy as walking over to the next town, right? There's like a shit ton of wilderness and you're leaving the safety of the group, right? So if you're, if you're booted, right? Or if you're, uh, nobody wants to be your friend or nobody's helping you or connecting or whatever, right? There's this visceral fear kind of thing, right? Because now what, right? Um, and that stuff has even followed us into the modern world where you can go online and make friends in some foreign land, right? Just, just by saying hi, right? So, uh, but these things stay with us, right? But anyway, um, and then the job of this thing is that when it gets lit up, right, it sends a signal to the hypothalamus. It drops a bunch of the stuff in. You go into this fight, flight, or freeze, fight, flight, or fret, whatever, you know, um, kind of uh, state, right, where your entire system gets changed. Cortisol uh, is one of the hormones that gets released. It's the stress hormone that inhibits other things from going on, just all, all kinds of weird, crazy kind of stuff, right? Um, but here's the thing, right? We get to decide whether or not 
we're going to like we're, we're going to do this thing, right? That's challenging. So we're going to face the challenge, or whether we're going to disconnect and hide from it. Okay. And while people like to split, uh, I don't know, they split hairs when it comes to words. Like I don't hide from anything, right? Okay, you can use whatever word you want, right? Avoidance, hiding, uh, distraction, right? Ego's really good at distracting us from hardship things, right? You know you got to get that thing done, right? And every time you go to do it, you have this thought, oh, crap, i got to do this other thing, right? And so you go and do that, and you tell yourself, I'll, I'll do that, I'll do this thing here later, right? But, oh, this, this other thing's more important. i got to go do this thing, right? But is it really more important? We, you can tell yourself it is. You can make it more important, right? But which one of these two things is moving you forward in the direction of this vision, uh, you know, this, this uh, best life for you, right? This uh, warrior protector, whatever, right, that, that you're trying to be. So really interesting stuff, okay? Um, but again, one of the lessons that I got from teachers way back in the day, and this – I got it early, thankfully, right, because I needed more time, right? I needed more time to clear myself of just bad programming, right? Uh, again, a lot of you, if you don't know my origin story, you can listen to episode 68 um, and kind of get that background, right? Um, but it's uh, the, the, the crux of it was, one, you're never given a dream, that you can't accomplish, right? It's impossible to imagine something that's impossible. I didn't double loop back, right? Um, you may have to figure out how to make it happen. And that's another problem that people have. And I know we've talked about that in previous episodes where people think they have to have all their shit together before they can like set a goal or start working on a dream or whatever. No, no, no. You just establish the goal. Right. You may have to figure out how you're going to do it. From step one. OK, um, interesting story on, along that line. For those of you who in the States are here in the States or anybody who uh, is you know, living in different areas around the world. But you you understand this landmark that I'm going to mention. Right. Um, the uh, Empire State Building in New York City. OK, used to be the tallest building and now it's been long since overshadowed. But um, when the Empire State Building was designed and laid out, right, they could only build – at that time, they could only build structures that were like three or four stories high, right, or whatever it was. There was a, there was a very low number, right, of, of stories that they could build to because, like, cranes weren't that big, all kinds of things, right? Um, you know, how do you do that? How do you get your supplies up this up this structure, right? So um, anyway, they put the, put out this bid, right? They've got this thing, and you know you can look it up how many floors this thing has, and it has a has a spire on top of it, whatever, right? And um, they put out the the bid, or they put out the, the 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 request for a bid, right? And these other companies, you know, were were saying, oh, this is going to cost like you know jillion dot whatever you know and um uh you know or or they were just flat out going you're nuts this is impossible right you have to cut this thing in half at least or whatever and even that's going to be difficult or whatever 
And um, I can't remember if these guys were partners or brothers who were partners, right? Had no construction company until they filed for this bid, right? They had no machinery. They had no equipment. They had nothing, right? But what they knew was because that because this thing was unlike anything else that had to be built or that had ever been built, right, all this stuff was going to have to be figured out, created, right? I mean, if the cranes and the, and the trucks and all that kind of stuff that you currently have won't make a building higher than three, four, five stories, whatever, right? Well, if, if they won't, then you need different stuff, right? So um, they put in their bid and, uh, you know, undercut these other ones. And no, 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 we can, we can do it for whatever. I think what they did was they cut whatever the highest bid was in half, which came in way low. Um, and it wasn't because they were undercutting things. It was just, you know, we really don't know what we need. And, and contracts typically have like a 20% or whatever little, um, you know, adjustment just in case, you know, things go over or whatever, right? But they literally invented all this stuff. They had to come up with the machinery. They had to uh, invent new processes for getting things up. So what they literally did was made ramps on every floor going to the next floor so that trucks could drive up and then they would disassemble these things later. But they, they literally created the entire process, but they had no idea in the beginning how they're going to do it. They just knew that they would figure it out. Okay. And there's one thing that I've learned from my teachers directly and indirectly that I took to heart and I think it's one of my best personal character traits, right? Again, no ringing of bells or whatever, but I, I absolutely believe in my ability to figure out the solution to a problem. Okay. Um, I, tenacity is part of it and all that kind of stuff, but I, I just trust in my ability to figure out what the problem is and then figure out what the solution is. Okay. But I don't know how I'm going to, I don't have to know how I'm going to do it when I decide I'm going to do it. Okay. And some of my students, uh, some of you have heard the story about, uh, Eric White and some of my other students have done the same thing, but, um, Eric was the first one to kind of like step forward with this ginormous thing. Um, in our, uh, week, uh, not weekly, yearly, uh, spring and summer camps and our spring and fall camps, um, uh, especially our, our, uh, New Year's Dicomiosai seminar, right? We do this active meditation. Uh, it's drawn straight from the Goma, uh, uh, fire, uh, I hate using the word ritual because it throws people off, right? But it's an active meditation, right? You're not just visualizing things, right? You are, right? But you're also committing to certain things. Uh, you're, you're literally playing out what you have to do going forward in your head, but then you physically actively do the, the thing in real time, right? And it's a fire kind of thing because there is a fire involved and whatnot because we talk about our inner passion and our inner desire and commitment, right? To make things happen. This idea from this, this character, Fudomyo, right? That 
the fire is not just, you know, the flames of passion and commitment and intention and those kind of things, right? But it's that same commitment and intention and whatnot, right? That it, when it's burning hot enough will, you know, help you destroy any kind of impediment or, you know, problem or whatever, right? So anyway, one year, um, we did this thing. And later in the year, it's probably September, October, so it had to be September because we were on Togakushi. You can't go, you can't get up there past like the beginning to middle of October because the snow's too freaking deep. Um, but we were uh, we were on this pilgrimage. I took everybody over to uh, Togakushi, modern day Togakure, right? For those of you who know the, the ninja lineages, right? Um, and there are these there are five shrines that are in a in a pattern that go up there. We do the three main ones, right? And you know we just walk the paths and do the do, right? And um, between the second shrine and the third shrine, between the the uh, middle middle shrine and the uh, the top shrine, we're walking along this roadway, and he rushes up to me and he goes, um, can I tell you something? Of course. Right. He said, I am here. This all happened. This, this whole trip, me being here in Japan for this trip started at Daikomi Osai this year, back in January. That was what was on my stick. That was my vision. And he said, I'm, I'm a firm believer now because when I wrote that down, I took what you said to heart. I had no idea how I was getting here. Right. I had no, I, I just took a new job. So I was a low man on the totem pole. How the hell am I getting time off work? Right. No idea where the money's coming from. Right. None of that stuff. Right. He had zero understanding or, or knowledge about how he's going to make it happen. But the very fact that he put things in motion, right, like, by the way, the time off work was the easiest thing he had to do, right? He, when he went in and said, I you know, I know I'm a local man on the telephone, kind of thing, I've got this opportunity, right? You know, I do martial arts and all that. I have this opportunity to go to Japan for this, like, major training trip. And they were like, Japan? Cool, right? Can you bring me back something? Absolutely, you can have the time off. He's like, shit. Well, that was easy, right? So, but uh, like it, money came in from, from weird directions and stuff like that. Not that he wasn't working on things a lot. He was, absolutely. But there were things that either he had lost track of or didn't, didn't know that he had coming to him or whatever. And these things just all kind of came together. And so on Togakushi Mountain, right, he told me, you know, he was now a believer in this thing. And I said, it's not something to be believed in. Right. I mean, I guess in the beginning you need to before you can even like start the process. But you, th- this is a believe in yourself. You're the one that made the magic happen. Okay. This wasn't like, you know, you put out magical juju uh, kind of things and then some fairy godmother or fairy godfather came, sprinkled pixie dust on your ass and, you know, poof. Right. You're you're in a, a, a 747 that used to be a pumpkin. It, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way it works, right? Had you not put in the amount of energy you did, now quantum physics kind of explains things a little bit differently, right? That we're quantum fields, energy fields in a larger quantum field. And if you raise your 
energy level or diminish your energy level, right? You affect the greater quantum field and you affect everything else around you. Now, I know how magic or how much that can sound like magic, but um, science has proven all this stuff out, right? Um, it's impossible to observe a process going on or an experiment without altering the experiment because this, the experiment, the outcome gets altered simply because of your presence. Interesting stuff, right? So that, that points out to, you know, a lot of things. But anyway, I had teachers that would, that would say, you know, uh, you have no idea what you're capable of. You have no idea what your potential is because you've developed limiting beliefs based on the limiting beliefs of others and what they taught you was possible and not possible. And then you stayed within a bubble and operated within that, which was a product of the programming and in turn continued the programming, right? So hence the movie, The Matrix, right? There's this, there's this idea that, you know, we create our, our environment, right? We create our reality, right? Based on prior experiences. And so one of the definitions I was given uh, by my Mikio teacher was that, re that reality is created by our experiences and if left unchecked will in turn create our future reality, which usually comes out like same shit, different day. Right. That's why people end up feeling like they're just on this merry-go-round going around and around and around because nothing will change unless we get off that ride and get on a different one. Right. So, or unless you learn how to control the ride. Right. So anyway, um, but anyway, let's get back to this red pill, blue pill kind of thing. Well, you know what, before that, who do we have on and uh, are there any questions or comments up to this point before I just keep, you know, I just, I, I throw the switch on the train and I just go sightseeing and the train just keeps on going. So <laughs> what do we have? Who do we have? Oh, the only one Carl's on. Said good evening. Hey, Carl. And there's a comment from Dale Burkett Jr. says everything and everything and everything is energy on the atomic level and it's all interacting with each other. So it definitely makes sense. Like if all your focus on is negative energy, it's what your life will be. Yeah. You know, and even if it's not an energy thing, right, what I have found, and again, teachers taught me this stuff, right? You attract what you put out, right? So if we're chaotic in the way we handle things, and the way we do things, and the way we think about things, not only are we going to get chaotic results, but the world's going to throw some weird chaotic kind of stuff at us, right? Um, the more intentional we are, uh, the more we have a little bit more control over things, but it's really the clarity, right? Um, and I appreciate that comment. I really, really do because I, I know I keep pointing off to the side. My laptop screen is over here. So James is over here. You guys are over there. Mm. Anyway, I guess you're over there. Anyway, so um, the – where's I going with that? The um, uh, the the understanding or the knowledge, right, the intellectual knowledge about these things, you know, everything is energy, all this kind of stuff, right, that does nothing for us until we put it to use, until we put it to work, okay? So – 
while there are all these cool things that we can learn, right? It's kind of like the cliche of, uh, in the martial arts of, of, uh, using your opponent's energy against him. You know, if, if you've been around for a while, and I know Carl's done a bunch of different, uh, training, different martial arts, um, and self-defense systems, and a bunch of you have, have done those kind of things as well. Um, and you've probably heard this, right? But I don't know if you've had a similar experience or similar experiences to what I'm going to describe. I'm going to, I'm going to share one, one story, one experience, but there's many like this one. Okay. So I have a student. Her name is Ann. She's a university professor, um, in Texas. Okay. Nacogdoches, right? Some people. Some people officially know it or call it as Neck of uh, Nowhere, right? It's in East Texas. Um, the, the town is really, really cool. I remember one time uh, they were driving me around and I came around this corner into the middle of town. And, like, there was a moment where my brain made me feel out of place because I was in a car in an old Texas town. And then we came around the corner and then there was the municipal building and it was this like modern building glass and all that kind of stuff. And then my brain had a whole different problem because on this side of the street, there was like, you know, Yeehaw Cowboy Saloon and over, I mean, I mean like cobble uh, brick uh, road and the whole deal, right? It was um, out in the middle of like flat, sandy desert, whatever, right? Anyway, um, so I went down to present um at a, she had lined up with several presentations. I taught at the, uh, at the nursing school there, uh, gave a presentation to the ROTC, uh, group, um, one to her class, one that was campus wide. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, we're, um, uh, one of the things she had, had set up was she was, she was, uh, she couldn't find any any ninjutsu schools around, so she shopped around different classes until she found something as close to what she was used to with us as possible so that, you know, hopefully it would continue to work for her. So uh, she had set this thing up where there was a night that I would go in and I would be a guest instructor. Cool. Didn't charge anything for it. Just went in, did our thing. And um, the... <laughs> If you know what cognitive dissonance is, right, where there's this huge disconnect between what somebody says and what they do, right? And we do it all the time, right, which is one of the reasons why there's a lot of confusion, um, because we want something. We say we want something, but the things we do don't match up. So to reconcile that, your brain picks one and then writes off the other one, right? Your dream ends up being stupid or, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, and all these other Weird ass things, right? Um, or you procrastinate or you know, whatever, right? But anyway, um, I was drowning <laughs> in a flood of cognitive dissonance, right? Because for whatever reason, well, I know what the reason was, right? Here, they bring the guest instructor in, but then the master teacher and several of his instructors decided that they were going to lead off the teaching. Okay. Before I got a chance to go up and do anything, right? And you know how that works, right? What they were doing psychologically was establishing the baseline so that anything else was different, right? You get the idea? Okay. So anyway, they do their thing, which was great because I had a chance to, you know, watch and listen and, and learn and, and whatnot, right? 
And so the biggest thing that stood out was like, if I, if I closed my eyes and didn't look like everything they said was spot on timing, distancing, angling, all this kind of stuff, right? Relaxation and movement and whatever, right? The problem is that my eyes weren't open or they weren't closed. Okay. And, uh, Actually, I had, I had a, a partner along, one of my uh, peers. He's a, a friend from uh, Toronto. So he went along to help do some of this stuff. And uh, we're, we're both looking. And he leans over and he kind of bumps me a little bit. And he goes, do you think they have any idea that they're not doing what they say they're doing? And I said, Shh, be a ninja. Let it go. Right? So... But that's what was happening, right? Often we can say we're doing certain things or we can believe that we're doing certain things, but, and we can even believe that we're doing the right things until we get around somebody who knows. Okay. Um, it's one of the big things with, you know, why we seek out mentors, right? He knows or he has that information or knowledge and can help me out with it or whatever, right? Um, which is great, right? Until the mentor says something that we don't want to hear. Right? Um, James help, he helps to run the, well, he runs the online stuff. Um, so he sees all the emails that come in and whatnot, right? And the, the number of people that want the help or that want uh, a mentor, they want an instructor or whatever, but they want to call all the shots and establish the paradigm within which we're going to work, right? And that usually leads to the teacher's going to do all the work. Right. And they're going to get all the benefits. Right. Um, which they're going to turn around if they do the practice, they're going to turn around and apply to their own life. Right. Drive all the benefits. But the mentor is supposed to do it out of the goodness of their own heart. OK. If the mentor is in a position to do that. Great. If not. Right. But as I just shared with somebody not not too long ago, that's not how the how the student mentor kind of thing works, right? Um, but either way, right? But, but we, we try to make that happen. We try to mm, twist and, and, and make things happen. So anyway, back to the movie, right? The movie, there's this red pill, blue pill kind of thing. And it's an interesting little thing, and everybody's been throwing it around and doing whatever. But the point of the red pill, blue pill paradigm, symbology, is in what what choice we're making when we encounter hardship. Okay, um, in uh, in Japanese mikyo, there's this uh, there's this uh, teaching called the Sadhana of the Thirteen Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. I know I've mentioned this in the past. It doesn't matter where this came from. I'm going to use English references so that I don't alienate or freak anybody out that thinks I'm trying to subtly I don't know, convert them to some kind of weird woo-woo religion or whatever, okay? So, but the first character, there's 13 of these characters, right? And it, it, there's lots of ways that this thing is used. But um, one of the things that jumped out at me, and when I explained it to my teacher, I'm like, like, how far am I off on this? Because what I see is this path. And he said, who taught you that? Nobody. So how far off am I? He goes, you're not off at all. That's the secret of this, this thing, right? So here's the way this thing works, okay? 
the first character isn't one of our internal aspects. It's not part of the teachings or whatever. It is the world. And it's actually Fudomyo, for those of you who know this character, right? Fangs and flames and all that, right? It's the world reaching out and smacking you to wake you up from what is often described as dull sleepwalk living. Okay? We're just comfortable. Just going through our routines, running our bullshit program, right? And everything's working just fine. Right. Our belief system's working. Nobody's like arguing with us. Everything's good. As a matter of fact, to keep people from arguing with us, what does ego do? It surrounds it surrounds itself with like minded friends, which is a good thing if it's a support group. But a support group. And I don't mean like, oh, I understand. Right. I'm an addict, too. Right? <laughs> um, and those things are necessary, but it's not that kind of a support group. It's the kind of support group that is on the same kind of journey, has or is or will soon experience the same kind of challenges and hardships, right? But will also kick you in the ass when you slip, right? But we don't tend to gravitate toward friends like that or mentors like that. We gravitate toward people who tell us we're right, and we gravitate away from people who are assholes, except are they arrogant assholes because they're self-serving and they're only out for themselves and therefore they're using you as a pawn and don't care if they hurt you in the process? Or are they an asshole? For those of you on audio only, I just made air quotes again. Are they an asshole because they're telling you something or telling you something or telling you to do something that you don't want to do? Two completely different things. Okay. And good mentors. James and I have one, right? <laughs> he, ex-army and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, he's made people throw up first day of a seminar because he just goes right for the jugular, right? He goes right for ego, right? Because if you can't fix the things that are holding you back that you're doing, you don't need to worry about anybody else, Okay. Nobody, and if you can fix your stuff, you won't let anybody else hold you back. So that excuse goes away too, right? So, but there's this decision kind of thing, right? So anyway, there's this, there's this, the, the world slaps you, right? So uh, in the movie, Neo has this little moment, right? Uh, and it's it's basically based on a computer kind of thing, right? And then just because he woke up from a dream, right? And there it is on his on his screen, right? And it says, follow the white rabbit and all that. And then there's this girl with a tattoo. Anyway, you have to watch the movie. But the point is, is there's a moment where he's told to do something. Right. He's he wants to know this thing. He there's this goal. There's this passion that he has. And he's been spending like sleepless nights trying to figure this thing out. And here's this opportunity. Okay. so the red pill, blue pill moment starts long before Morpheus literally offers um, by the way, they were like night and daytime day quills, okay? or the, the that kind of uh, they were cold medicine kind of uh, things. Interesting, right? As movie props. Anyway, so um, uh, he, he made a choice, right, to at least check it out to go along. And then there are these there are these moments, right? So what we're always faced is or faced with is 
with every challenge, right? And the closer we get to our goal and the bigger the goal, the harder those freaking challenges. Okay. I mean, seriously, how many people would be willing to drive an hour or an hour and a half one way to class for an hour or two, sometimes three? James, how, how long do you do class when you come in? Well, now you come in to work at the dojo, but when you were just coming in for class? Depending on the day, usually. Could be one, could be two. Okay. So James lives an hour away currently. He's looking to move in closer to the dojo. But currently he lives an hour away. Okay. So he drives two hours round trip to do one or two hours of training. I have another student that lives an hour and a half away. So he does three hours round trip to come to class for, he typically stays for a regular class and well, he might stay for all three depending on his day. Right. But even if it works out even, right, he will drive three hours round trip to do three hours of training. That's six hours of his day. Okay. I just had a, Student come in for uh, for uh, long staff work, Bojitsu training, for a private class on Saturday. He drove an hour and a half for the two hours that he paid for. Okay, which means he was on the road driving longer than he was in class training. How many people are willing to do that? How many people are willing to drive nine hours? That was my one-way trip. And this is not me sounding like an old man, like, I drove nine hours uphill both ways in the snow. That was nine hours. Okay. Um, so I, I was on the road for a weekend seminar, right? Get in Friday night, do training if there was Friday night training, Saturday, Sunday, leave immediately after the training on Sunday, five, six o'clock, grab something quick on the way, and be home by, what, midnight, 2 a.m., something like that, right? So 18 hours of driving for 10 to 15 hours of training and the extra expense of hotel and gas and whatever, okay? Um, but, again, how badly do you want it, right? Um, and I get it. There are impediments. I get it. People like to lead off with them. People like to stack them. Like if I stack enough of them, he'll like, you know, what? You want to do this thing. You want to become this thing. You want to learn all this stuff that's supposed to make you a badass problem solver. But you're going to list all the reasons why you can't or it's difficult or whatever. It's difficult for everybody. Okay? It's difficult for everybody. Okay? So anyway, um, but again, there's this decision, right? And it's, it's, the decision is the truth, right, or the goal, whatever it is. It's either important enough to do, so we're going to take the red pill, right? doesn't matter how hard it is. We're going to do this thing, right? Or we're going to take this blue pill, and again, you don't have to put yourself back to sleep. It's not exactly like the movie, but the reality is, is that tomorrow you can tell yourself and tell everybody else anything you want to justify the decision. And we do. 
Okay. Because the hardship causes pain, fear, frustration, all that kind of stuff, right? And again, most people like to believe that they are logical, rational entities. But science has proven that we're emotional entities. And then intellect steps in after the emotional decision has been made. Attraction, aversion has been made. And then intellect steps in and tells a bullshit story to justify the feeling. Okay. You can tell when somebody's not telling a bullshit story when they say things like, you know, what? Well, I mean, that wasn't that difficult. I mean, God, why'd you do that? No choice. Or what else was I supposed to do? James and I had a conversation today um, at the dojo about kind of about this thing, right? We were talking about, um, and again, I'll get to these characters again, but there's a point on this path that you get to. And you may ask yourself, why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? But you've already gone too far. Like you cannot go back. It's impossible. Okay. It's impossible because you know what's waiting. Right. And you know, you'd be living a lie, living a lot. I mean, it's not like, you know, well, I kind of, you know, hit a point where I'm comfortable here and I just accept this. Cool. Cool. Okay. That's, if that's the ride you want to take, that's fantastic. Okay. But no matter where you are, imagine going back. Imagine, Imagine a point in your life where things were pretty shitty, right? And I mean, find a point where you decided, mm -mm, not doing this, right? So you got the education you needed, you got the promotion you needed, you made a life change with partner or whatever, right? To have a better life, okay? Now imagine choosing to go back to do that thing. To live that way. Okay. See that feeling? Feel that feeling? Okay. okay. So there's a point in the path where you might think, oh, God, what? But at that point, looking back will drive you forward, right? Because there will be those, those moments, right? But then there's going to come a point where nothing to do but forge on. Okay. There's, that question goes away. Why didn't I take the blue pill? Because <laughs> no matter if I make it or not, I'm going to be so much farther ahead, right? But again, what I want, what I, the point I want to make with this is one of these choices keeps you true and on track with the goal, right? You just but it doesn't – what's that, what's that uh, saying? Uh, I, I got it in the Christian sense, but uh, it's out there all over the place. Know the truth and it shall set you free. Okay? Yeah. Um, one of the lessons I got from my Mikio teacher, he pointed this thing out. He goes, you know, you know that saying? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? He goes, that's why everybody wants truth. Right? Because they misunderstand the quote. Right? They think that the quote means you'll be set free from all the suffering. But you're not. You're set free from all the self-induced suffering, something we'll be talking about during the 37 Fundamentals uh, program 
Um, but pain and hardship don't go away. Okay? You're still going to get sick. You're still going to get old. You're still going to die. Those kind of things, right? But you're, what you're cutting down on is how much crap you create for yourself, right? So the the true thing is, look, I want that, and I want it bad enough that I will figure out how to navigate this hardship, okay? Because the only other alternative is to not do it, and science has already worked out the cognitive dissonance thing. You will figure out, given enough time, the bullshit will fall away, and you will have to choose And that's where people either get into, they think it's a holding pattern, but sorry, it's not, right? I got to get back to training. I got to get back to training. I got to get back to training. Well, after 10 or 20 years of saying the same damn thing, you're going to have to recognize that unless you do some training, you're never going to get back to training. As long as you're just talking about it, you're never going to get back to training. So how about if you just stop talking about it? Because it doesn't matter if you do it or you don't do it. You stop talking about it. Because if you're doing it, guess what you stop talking about? Getting back to training. Why would you say that? Can you imagine, James? You come to come to class three times a week and stuff, and you tell people, "I got to get back to training." Right? <laughs> no, you're training, right? Um, but nothing's going to change, right? Nothing's going to move. Okay. So anything, anything else pop up or do we have anything at the moment that I, I should address before I keep on going here? Uh, just Shane Justice says hello. <clears throat> and hello. <laughs> you did get a question in. It's not about the topic at hand. I don't know if you want me to hold it till. Yeah, just hold yeah. it until we, we get through everything. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. That was it then. Yeah, if it's not relative or relevant to what we're currently talking about i don't i'm sure for everybody's edification or for, for your understanding right um this gets recorded for later and it also goes out audio only to our folks that are you know subscribed on apple podcast and stitcher and i don't know a couple hundred freaking uh podcast directories um so i try to keep the uh the recording right on on point so that because if i jump around a lot then right now sometimes I jump around because I'm creating open loops and it keeps you awake because these things are, you know, a little bit longer. Right. So uh, an open loop is where I start something and then I say, okay, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Right. I do that in uh, whiteboard Wednesday as well. Okay. I breach something. And then because the human brain needs to close loops, Okay. It will stick with things, right? They do it to you in TV shows, really good podcasters and, and uh, YouTube content people, uh, commercials, all that kind of stuff. They, they all do it where they create these open loops because you're, you'll keep reading, you'll keep watching, you'll keep whatever because you need to close the loop. Okay. It's just like the second movie for the Matrix. They could have made that movie three, four hours long. They chose to make the movies all about the same length, right? Hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was, right? Um, because by saying to be continued, how many people were going to buy tickets or video or whatever for the third movie? Because you've got to close the friggin' loops, right? Um, unless you don't give a shit, unless it's just a passing interest, in which case, 
you weren't you were barely there to even notice that a loop was opened. Okay, so uh, but I try to I try to keep these things maintained. So if there's nothing, um, that's fine. Okay, so uh, here's something that I got from a teacher a uh, long time ago, and it was reinforced by my Mikio teacher as well. And that has to do with the pain and suffering that you're enduring. Okay. So remember I talked about the amygdala and this, this again, Erin Reinhardt, one of my uh, black belts, she's a brain scientist. She could tell you the wiring and the bits and pieces and all that kind of stuff. And that's all fine. Um, but here's the, here's the layman's gist of it. Um, the the reality for the human system is that we need hardship we need fear and we need challenge to affect change that actually affects change faster than roses and unicorn farts and and that kind of stuff right because they're just it, it's not necessary okay so here's this thing again there's this you know, let, let me, I'll leave that as an open loop. I'm going to go back to that, those characters, right? So we've got this one character that represents the world smacking you in the ass, right? So you got this red pill blue pill moment, right? Do I ignore it as like, well, that was weird. Tell your friends, y'all laugh about it, whatever. That was fucked up, whatever, right? And then you go about your business or does this cause you to stop and go, the hell was that? Why did that happen? And then you go looking for people that might have an answer, right? You know, the God called Google or whatever, right? Um, the next character on this thing, because it's, it's Mikio, it's Buddhist by nature, right? The next character is actually this, this, the, the founder of what most people call Buddhism, right? Siddhartha Gautama, Shakyamuni Buddha, uh, whatever, right? The Tathagata. It's a teacher. It just represents a teacher who knows. Right. So you may be checking all kinds of places and things, but what you're really looking for is somebody who can answer the damn question for you. OK, so you meet this teacher. Right. Well, the next character on the path is what the teacher gives you or exposes you to, which is transcendental wisdom. It's wisdom and knowledge outside of the conventional. OK, and so here's this thing. You got another red pill, blue pill moment. Right. Do I follow that or do I go, that's weird, that's stupid, uh, that contradicts my programming over here, that's too hard, whatever, in which case, go right back to sleep, wake up tomorrow, tell yourself anything. Just it's the same loop. Right. Um, if you just if you choose to go on, the next character on the uh, on the path is. uh Jizo, right? So it's this uh, character looks like a monk, right? But what this character represents is discipline. Discipline to do the work no matter what. Okay? And so what ends up happening is your teacher shares some of the stuff with you or your potential teacher, right? And then, you know, you can play around with it, whatever, okay? Um, and then if you decide to do it, the teacher goes, okay, great. Here are these exercises. Do these things this way. No deviation. Okay. You got a choice. You can do it. You're not going to do it. You can play around with it. You can half-ass it. Whatever. Okay. Again. Right. 
But there, there's a point. The, the character right after this one, this is where I'm going to stop. The character right after this one represents the future potential that you're looking for. Okay. In Mikyo, it's this character called, uh, Monju in Japanese, right? Manjushri is transcendent to wisdom. Monju is the Buddha to come, the awakened one, the enlightened one, the wise one, whatever, right? The expert, the master, whatever you want to call it, right? To come, okay? He actually sits on a, a seat, a pedestal, with one leg folded under, like you're in kind of like a fudoza kind of thing, right? And the other leg is draped over this thing, touching the floor. The idea is you just need this one more thing, right? Or when all the conditions are right, this character stands up, right? And in the Matrix, right? Become the one, whatever, right? So you don't decide to be. It's just you got to get all your shit together, right? And and clear out the cobwebs and whatever. But it's discipline, consistent discipline that produces that. Okay? And then there's a bunch of other ones from there, right? But it's that kind of crux, right, where discipline is the thing that you like i you know i, I you tell yourself right hey, i'm feeling tired today you know what i, I got to get this stuff done okay uh, my wife and i worked really really hard over the weekend to clear out all these freaking boxes in the house and, and get our home more and more to kind of some some kind of semblance right we were absolutely exhausted last night when we went to bed but every time we had that moment of is this enough is it whatever right we decided no no we're not we're not done right the, here's the goal we're not done which is why we were exhausted right um was it difficult <laughs> yeah both of us because of steps and ladders and you know whatever right the muscle muscles burning and knees and hips and whatever right but this thing was more important right um but that's that discipline Right. So but in the beginning, you have, might have to do something like that. Right. Because there were lots of times throughout the entire weekend that we were we were done. We did not want to do one more box. We did not want to put one more thing away. We did not want to decide whether one one more thing got put in a, um, a freebie box that we're putting out uh, on the curb that people can come and take it. Clothes, all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, or whatever. Right. We're throwing this away or we whatever. Right. But we told ourselves, no, no, this is we're, we're going until this point right here. Right. Um, and we didn't keep backing down the point. Right. So that's a first stage of discipline where you have to remind yourself. Right. I'm doing that 30 minute walk after dinner. I'm uh, making sure I hit my my protein intake for the day, my water intake for the day, whatever. Right. Um That's that's, you know, you know, discipline to push on. But there's this tipping point where. It no longer becomes something that you do. You do. (laughs) But it's what ends up happening is it becomes so much a part of who you are that there isn't an alternate decision. I remember when I when I first met my wife and and we were you know discussing things and uh, you know we had our our early dates and this is what I do and da 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 you know 
and um, we were starting to get serious. And I had to have a serious sit down discussion with her because my training and my involvement in Nijitsu and, and that kind of stuff, right? Mikyo, whatever. This is not the Camaro that I had when we got married that you're going to make me sell. This is not, okay? This is not something that I do. This is so much a part of who I am that I cannot not do it. And the person that you're attracted to, this is part and parcel. This is not a hobby. This is not recreation. This is not a passing interest. This is, this is, I need this like I need to breathe. Okay? So at that point, there's no discipline to do things. There's no, it's just, it just becomes a part of you, right? Can you imagine having to remind yourself to breathe on a regular basis? How many people would suffocate to death? Because they didn't feel like it today. Right? So anyway, again, life is filled with these red pill, blue pill moments, right? What I was exposed to was, look, you set a goal for yourself. You know what you need to do to move in that direction, and you know what's a distraction. And even if you didn't know, right, that's where we apply intellect, right? So I've got this thing. Do I do this thing? Do I do this other thing? The question is, which one moves me in the direction of the goal? Okay? Which one moves me in the direction of the goal? And... Then we do it, right? So anyway, um, before as I round this out, before we, we change gears and all that, or I open it up to questions, um, I want to tell you about this this um, uh, other mentor that I have, right? Um, James, you know, I'm talking about Alex. Um, he was just it's just this was just something that was coincidental. Um, I was doing up the Kuden uh, podcast schedule, right, for topics that I was going to cover and things like that. And I had just written this one down. And next thing I know, I get hit with this little, you know, email message and whatnot. Open it up, and he's got this video lesson. And he was talking about, like, embracing the suck, embracing the hardship kind of thing, right? And the big point that was being made is that if we want to do something – but it's still in the realm of that'd be nice, but I'm really comfortable, right? There is no imperative reason to move forward and do that thing. Zero, okay? But when you're in a condition where you have to do something, things have to change, or you will die, then you do shit because your survival mechanism kicks in. The amygdala, because you gave it an instruction, I cannot live this way, right? And dying doesn't have to be physically. Psychological, emotional, spiritual, right? But it's not until we decide that, look, my spirit will die. I mean, just the thought of living the animal realm life of wake up, 
go to work, come home, watch TV, eat dinner, watch TV, take a shower, go to bed, wake up tomorrow morning and do it all over again and do that all over again for the, another how many decades? Makes me want to throw up. But that's me. That's me, right? I absolutely acknowledge that's me, right? But my point is, that's the red pill, blue pill thing, right? If you can't clearly see where you want to go, right? But if we think that we're going to make a goal appear or happen without dealing with obstacles along the way, ourselves being probably the biggest one, right? then we're, we're, we're living three-year-old or six-year-old baby magic. It was one of the first lessons I got in, in this art about that, right? Most people want to go through life. They don't use these words, but they want to go through life and they want to attain their goals like a three-year-old or a six-year-old who's been taught that if they just make a wish and blow out all the candles on the cake, their wish will come true, right? Or a fairy godmother shows up waves a wand, sprinkles pixie ducks on your ass, whatever, right? Pixie ducks, pixie dust, right? <laughs> on your, whatever, right? Um, you know, uh, Shoshi Malmstrom was really harsh about this stuff. He goes, look, you know, you want a million dollars all you want, but unless Aunt Minnie dies and wills you a million dollars, you ain't getting a million dollars. And if you don't have a rich Aunt Minnie who has a million dollars to will you, well, shit, you're farther back than... Then you need to be right, but most people operate like they're waiting for that. They're waiting. Tell me if you've heard these phrases or things like it. I'm waiting when my ship comes in, when we win the lottery, da da da, whatever. Okay, but that doesn't do anything. Okay, most people that win the lottery are broke within a year or two after winning the lottery, flat ass broke. Okay, because if you had lousy finance and budgeting. Before you had millions, not going to change anything. You know what's going to change? The size of the shit that you buy that you forgot you had taxes on afterwards or whatever, right? It doesn't change anything, right? Just like somebody who's, you know, an asshole or whatever, and then they're put into a position of power. Well, if they were an asshole and cheated people and whatnot before they got into power, think it's going to go away? Well, we expect better from them. Well, you fucked up. Okay? To expect a barbarian to act like a civilized person is stupid. It's insane. Okay? It's like people who get a job, right? Well, this is going to be cool. They have this money, whatever, right? Okay? You go through the interview, and what most people do is they tell the interview what they think the interviewer what they think the interviewer wants to hear. So they'll get the job, right? So it's a big manipulation from the beginning, right? But either way, they saw the job description. They had a chance to ask questions, right? I haven't been in the workforce forever, but I'd say my wife and I both operate the same way. Here's how my wife does it. She goes through, she answers the interviewer's questions and all that, and then they say, do you have any questions for us? And she does. And then she interviews the interviewers. Right? What are your most pressing problems 
that you're expecting for me to solve within the shortest time period after hiring me, right? Where's the mess? Okay, that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, uh, what could I do that would be a non-negotiable thing that would end my my uh, employment here um, the quickest? Not that she's asking how to get fired, but where's where, where's your where's your bench where's your benchmark, right? What is something that I could do that would consider me for that I it, you would consider me for promotion or advancement? Um, without thinking twice, what would, what would that thing be? Right. And often she stumps the interviewers because they're so used to interviewing people who just want the job that they're not used to being interviewed themselves. Right. She wants to know what kind of leader she's going to be working with. Okay. You people are going to be in charge of me. How well do you know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing? So if I need help and guidance, you can help. Right. But people don't do that. Right. And then within weeks or months, they're bitching and complaining because I don't get paid enough for this. This is not what I signed up for. What? You accepted this was the pay rate. You didn't negotiate it. Because if you did, then you have really no reason to bitch. Right? But you accepted this pay rate for that job. And now suddenly, what? This is what my this is what one of my Nikio teachers said. So you're going to what? Hope that this guy suddenly becomes like uber altruistic. And decides he's going to like triple your pay just because you showed up on time for work for three weeks, three months. I've heard that there's now corporations that give people a freaking bonus because they do show up for work and do what they're supposed to be doing. Those of you on audio only, I don't know how to talk about that, right? Well, you understand. You don't work for those people. I do understand. I don't work for people like that because I don't associate with people like that. Okay. James, was it today that we had that conversation about when I worked for that, uh, that cannery right after, right out of getting out of the, out of the military? Was that today? Yeah. 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 So, um, I was working at this place as a temporary employee, um, while I was setting up, uh, my dojo, my first dojo, and getting my uh, PI license and all that kind of stuff handled because I was starting these these businesses, right? And so everybody knew it, right? So I come to work and I'm smiling, I'm you know doing work and all that kind of stuff. And these people are like, man, see, see, you can smile because like you, you know you don't have to be here. You're you're doing this thing. I'm like, no, I smile because if I just kind of enjoy the ride while I'm here, this is what I'm here for, right? The day will go better, faster, whatever. But you, and, and or if somebody was having a bad day, I go, cheer up, dude. It's a, you don't understand. You don't need to be here. No, I understand. I understand that I choose to be here. I also understand that you choose to be here. So if anybody here doesn't understand the freedom that they have, that they don't exercise, is not me. Okay. The number of people that, that call their employers, right, slave, or, the, the, you know, the employees are slaves and whatnot. Nobody has anybody in shackles. You are free to walk at any time. Free to change your situation. But as that, we used to have a joke in law enforcement, and I don't know, if, Carl, I don't know if you use it on your side of the pond or not, but um, uh, where we read somebody their Miranda rights, we tell them that they have the right to remain silent, okay, 
and we would often make this joke that some people have the everybody has the right to remain silent. Some people just lack the capacity. Right. It's the same thing. Everybody has the right to create the life that they want to be. Okay. You have the freedom to leave a bad situation. Right. One of my black belts, she she said that um, one of the guy, one of the black belts at the dojo, um, Shoshi Whistler, he's a six degree black belt, uh, you know, been introduced to all this spiritual stuff and everything. And um, he was having a conversation with her at one point and uh, it just led around to. I don't know if I don't know if the context was him being stuck or whatever. And he goes, Mm-mm, there's nothing I can't walk away from. I mean, as long as we discount death and illness and old age and shit like that. Right. But like situations, especially involving other human beings. OK. And as long as you think there's things you can't do, then you're right. You're absolutely right. OK. Taking that blue blue pill is complacency. It's. Tell yourself whatever bullshit you want that'll make you feel good about the decisions you made that do nothing to change your your circumstances. And that goes for all of us. Me too, right? I'm not on a pedestal talking about this stuff, right? I live this every day, right? People think that, you know, you get to a certain level and all your problems go away and you don't have fear, you don't have anxiety, you don't have... No, 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 no. They do not go away. What goes away is your need for somebody else to come and solve, save the day, solve the problem. Okay. Now I may call somebody who has the skills or who has the wherewithal, the knowledge or whatever. Right. I know we talked about this today too. We had a long conversation. Um, That's why we, that's why Ninja had this network. Oh, it was the new new student that was signing up into the mastery leadership program. Right. We're talking about, uh, one of the first lessons I learned in this art was that all ninja have a network, right, of people, resources, friends, right? And the bigger that network, the bigger that ninja network, the the smaller the possibility that you will encounter a problem or a challenge or anything like that that cannot be solved by a phone call or two, where they will either come and help or they will share knowledge and do do this step one step two whatever right um but there's right we all have the power to change things the trick is getting to a point where if i stay i will die but we're not in a cave anymore it's not saber tooth tigers anymore right it's you know the spirit being crushed it's you know that dull sleepwalk living that, you know, doing the meditation, right? The Sanji Shijo Bone and these other things that we do, right? Contemplating phenomena and stuff where you're, you, you start to project forward and, and look at your life, right? And then go, how many days consecutively can I do this before I want to throw up? There's a diet plan that does that. Have you ever heard of things like the potato diet, the rice diet, uh, the cabbage diet? Have you ever heard of these, James? Anything like this? Okay. Um, it's not about the food. It's not about the food. It's about the fact that you will only eat one food. If you're on the potato diet, you can have as many potatoes as you want. All day long. Right? Preferably only eat until you're 80% full. If you're diabetic like me, 
potatoes wouldn't work, rice wouldn't work, whatever, right? Because the glycemic, right? My sugar would be through the roof, right? But it's a psychological thing. If you stick to the same food over and over and over again, your system starts to become, you feel aversion to that thing. You start to only eat when you're absolutely hungry and you need to quell that thing. You feel your sugar dropping, whatever, right? You stop eating just because of the programming because, and again, it requires discipline because you're not going to reach for anything else. If you're hungry, this is the thing you're going to have, okay? And that happens, right, throughout our lives, right? Here in the West, we can get all kinds of things to distract ourselves so that, you know, Netflix is really good at that, right? YouTube, whatever. They're just distractions, right? We can distract ourselves so we're not, we don't feel like we're doing the same thing over and over again because we're, we're on different web pages every day. We're on different uh, memes every day. We're on whatever, but it's still the same thing. I'm scrolling memes. I'm scrolling videos. I'm scrolling whatever. I'm scrolling. I'm binge watching, whatever, okay? But the point that, again, my mentor made was until you decide that I can't live this way, I can't live that way, going back, whatever, right? Now, the moment you decide going back is unthinkable, but, you know, like things are bad, right? But, and here's the, here's the, here's the poisonous phrase. Things are bad, but they could be worse. As soon as you say that, everything flatlines. Well, no shit. Things could be worse. Okay? To your future self, to that person that's acknowledged or that's attained the goal. Yeah, this is one of those could be worse. Right? Could be spinning your wheels, talking about things flattening your ass because you're sitting in a seat, whatever, right? It's not until you literally put your system into that state where things got to change. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffocate in this relationship, on this job, whatever. What drove me for the longest time through this stuff was the realization that if I didn't get this to a to a significant degree, and that included multiple attackers, weapons, that kind of thing, right? I might someday have to watch my wife or child die in front of me or not at the hands of somebody else because I couldn't protect them. And that was unthinkable. So I came up with these things, right? What is the thing that I could not tolerate that, like, I just, but as long as, yeah, things are bad, but they could be worse. What was that phrase we talked about today in the car where I said, um, it was something, something like it was a cop out when people say that, um, we're in front of the dojo, we just pulled back in from, running errands. Do you remember what that was? Oh, I know. Just, what was it? 
or was it oh, crap? Um, it was right along these lines, but it was, um, yeah, it'll come back to me. I hope. Right. Or it'll come to you. One or the other. Anyway, so any questions on this before I take other questions that are outside of this, uh, this per, oh, I was going to give, yeah, that, that little thing I just racked up, wrapped up. That was the, the thing that I promised, right? Um, you, you got to give yourself, you got to give yourself a reason. And it can't just be like things are bad, but because as soon as you use the but, it could be worse. It just nullifies everything. Right? No shit could be worse. Right? You know, it's homeless people that are homeless by choice, by design. And they are absolutely happy with their existence. Because they see themselves as free and unencumbered by all the shit that everybody else is maintaining, paying taxes for, all that kind of stuff. Okay? So are we supposed to save them too? Just checking. Okay? I don't have a problem with that person if that's their goal. Their ultimate goal was freedom and to not be encumbered by anything and they want to live in a tent for the rest of their lives and that's their dream life. No, oh, I can hear anything from me. I don't have a problem with anybody who goes, well, it could be worse. I don't. What I do have is the experience of working with them in a teacher-student relationship and passing on the lessons, but hearing nothing but, I'll get to it, I need to work on, um, pick something, right? This isn't working. Is it not working because it doesn't work? Because the lessons are really old and they work for me and all my peers and whatever. Or are they not working because you're not working the process? Two completely different things, right? But again, this wrap up we started. Red pill, blue pill. Okay? Red pill is no matter how big the challenge, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much we need to put things on hold because I have to learn this, this, I either have to get this knowledge, I need to hire somebody with the knowledge or team up with somebody with the knowledge or whatever. Somehow we need this to move forward or I have to do the work or I have to, um, you know, have that hard conversation with somebody that things need to change or whatever it is, right? Um, because that's going to move me to where I need to go or I'm going to take that blue pill, procrastinate, tell myself whatever I need to tell myself, right? Because when we tell other people why we did it, right, it's to get them to not put any extra pressure on us to ask us, you know, how, how's that going, whatever, right? So, but we're really, it's really a one-way street, right? We're talking to this guy right here, right? Those are on audio only. I'm pointing to myself. So, um, it's right comfort didn't we do a whole episode on like comfort comfort's like poison yep. god okay be uncomfortable embrace the suck because if you're growing every stage brings a new type of stuff suck right the num the amount of skills James, remember when you started helping me with this stuff 
you were like clearing out my email and cleaning up stuff like that and right. whatever, right? Um, and then how many skill sets have you learned just because? <laughs> just because I needed them. Just because, well, you needed them because you had a goal in mind. You didn't need them if you t- decided to stop at any point. Right. Right. But the, the, the skill sets that you've developed, if you broke off on your own, they would serve you to do this there or in, well, I'm sure your leadership abilities are different at uh, where you're working now than they were five years ago or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. Questions, comments, complaints? Uh, Dale's throwing a couple comments in here. Okay. Uh, like where I work, we get clients, residents that will intentionally attempt to upset us. We either choose to accept that gift of anger or reject it. When it's rejected, it's we are not making choices based on emotions and we don't do something permanently stupid because we're temporarily upset. It's the same with any choices we make in tra- in training. It's a choice. Yeah, and you're choosing to see them as gifts. Um, I don't. Not because I can't handle those things, but I don't see it as a gift. I, I don't play those kind of mental gymnastics. I come at it from the perspective of understanding. They're angry. They're frustrated. They are mentally um, uh, incapacitated or whatever, right? So it's, it's not personal, right? Well, yeah, but he's calling you names and he's using your name. and He's an angry person. He's doing that with everybody. That's what I mean by it's not personal, right? And it's more a reflection of that person than their conditions or their state or whatever, okay? Uh, now, I can see things being a gift if I'm working on overcoming anger issues, working on anger management, that kind of thing. Then I absolutely, as a part of the process, will put myself around people that trigger anger in me. Because the only way to work on resolving those issues is to speed up the process and to expose myself to those things more, more often, right? Because otherwise, the more time that goes between one incident and another, I will forget or the the process or the new thing I want to use or the script will drift back to subconscious storehouse and then under pressure, what's going to come out? Probably the same thing that I do and have done a lot and for a long time because there's more of that there and it's at the forefront, right? So the Mikyo process is whatever you need, whatever you need to see, you generate experiences so that you can see that thing. Whatever you need to hear, Put yourself in and around that, but that's generally where like mantra or, you know, just self talk and stuff like that comes in, right? Because you don't need to wait until somebody else says it. You say it, right? And above all things, avoid fucking negative talk, right? I catch myself with this every once in a while. It's, it's my new, uh, kryptonite that I need to, to fix, right? Because the, the stress and all this other shit kind of like crept in. And uh, some of you know, what was it a year or two ago, I got pissed off because I realized that I got derailed off of certain types of principles and whatnot. 
and uh, the new one is um, self-talk because I do have my, hold myself to very, very high standards. And this this habit started to creep in and then it got bigger and bigger. So now I'm trying to be mindful of this stuff. Um, Bruce Lee, uh, one of his most famous quotes was, um, don't talk negatively about yourself. Not even as a joke. Uh, psychology tells us why. Because your subconscious mind, your, your that, that little picture that you have of yourself, it doesn't know the difference. Right? If you attach I to something, then ego goes, okay, that's me. Right? So every time you say I can't or whatever, okay? And I know, well, if you say that's difficult instead of saying I can't, I get that, okay? But how about if you say, at the moment, I'm having a problem making that happen, okay? What I will do is, and then, but you can't just stop with saying I will do, right? You visualize yourself doing the new thing, okay? Because, again, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between the internally generated vision and the real world going on out here. doesn't know the difference. So you create what you need to see. You say. Or get around people who say, right, the positive things and all that kind of stuff that you need to hear, right? Now, that little piece right there doesn't mean that you alienate yourself from the shit that goes on in the world because that stuff still exists, right? So you don't, you don't lean toward bliss and then become ignorant to the other stuff, right? So, you create the gen- you generate the experiences you need to have. That's the doing part, right? So, if I need to uh, problem solve more, then I put myself in around things that will cause problems to happen. Okay, but at a certain point, like if that's not what you're working on, then you don't want to be surrounding yourself by people who all they talk about is the problem is the problem is the problem is. Okay, anybody that works with me. You cannot tell me the problem is without, in the next breath, telling me where our opportunity lies. So that means we need to. Well, how are we going to do that? That's the next question. Not sure yet. Okay, can we do some research on that? Absolutely. That's what our Wednesday Wednesday business team meetings pretty much sound like, right? Okay, we've got this going on. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Okay, we've got that going on, so we're going to keep keep moving in that direction. So we got this little thing going over here. There's this little glitch. Okay. So what's the plan for moving forward? We're going to do X, Y. Fantastic. Okay. Um, well, I'm not sure. Okay. Can we explore options? Great. Who's going to take that by the reins next meeting? We'll talk about two or three options that we have and then we'll, we'll go from there. Right. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with having a devil's advocate around where they point out the problem because that's their job. Right. But, that's also the end of their job. You cannot, well, you can expect anything. It's just stupid. <laughs> but you can't expect somebody who only points out problems to help you solve something. You also can't, can't expect somebody who always spins things to the positive, the blissful, right? Or at least the neutral. Oh, man, things are bad, but it could be worse. So, you know, just keep trodding on. You can't expect them to solve anything either or be a part of any kind of solution process. Okay. So anyway, what else we got?
What else does Dale have? Uh, embracing the suck, keep moving forward or quit, it's the choice, but the perspective we have in the situation makes a difference. Love what you're discussing because it applies to everything in life. I like the perspective that you have. Yeah, just make sure you have something that you're aiming for. Because as Zig Ziglar was famous for saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. I had a um, uh, student that was um, working on some stick stuff a while back. And um, uh, a lot of my students know that you get decent at, you know, your stick turning or your, your striking or whatever. At least you think you have, right? And then even with the unarmed stuff. James, were you in the class the one night where I put every, I, I just brought all the, all the training dummies and all that kind of stuff around, put everybody in the middle of the training room, and they, they were working with their partner, and then I just kept moving shit closer I brought chairs out of the viewing area and all that, and I literally created a cage, right, a box, right? They weren't allowed to hit the, the walls or trip over things. They couldn't step outside of that, right? And the more they trained, right, the more I just kept closing the things in until they were literally, like, having to duck things um, very, very close range because everybody's bumping into each other, right? I mean, that's just – this is difficult, Sensei. Yeah, can you imagine defending yourself at a state fair when it's wall-to-wall people and – um, you don't have the space to move into Ichimoji, right? Like you keep seeing demonstrations for or whatever, right? Or you're in a bathroom stall or you're whatever, right? If you can't imagine that, I would highly recommend that you do because you're not going to develop the skill set unless that becomes something that's scary as shit. How the hell would I handle that? Okay? I don't need to die, you know, in a truck stop restroom, right? Um but anyway, just you, you need to have something to aim for. What is, what's the end result? And please avoid vague statements. I just want to be free and happy. I just want world peace. Well, that's a noble ideal. How you can make that happen? Okay. How about if you just light up your own little corner of the world? Okay. Now what's next? Okay. I don't think. I, I said this once to somebody, and it, I just, I don't, we haven't had that, we haven't had a discussion like this since. I think it is, one of the things that perplexes me in life is how much time somebody will take making sure that a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes or pick something, because if those things aren't the thing for you, there's something. Right. For hunters, it's the the right rifle or it's the whatever. Right. They will spend an inordinate amount of time making sure that it looks good, fits them, whatever. Right. But when it comes to a personal development path, a religion, a philosophy, life philosophy, setting goals, Things that will affect the quality, depth, and experience of their life. Hey, Dad, what religion are we? Cool. What martial arts are you going to take? I don't know. There's this school like um, 
like, you know, six minutes from here on my way home that, and, and I think they have classes right after we get off work. So I don't have to worry about going home and then getting up and coming back to class and then going back home. So yeah, that's, that's the most convenient one. So um, that's the one I'm going to take. Cool. Fantastic. Okay. Just boggles my mind. I don't know if it boggles your mind, but okay. These are the kind of things that my teacher had me looking at. You don't see something wrong with that? Okay. I think was there a sorry, I think it was last week's whiteboard Wednesday or something that I mentioned. Um, you know, when people say, you know, they'll see something that I'm I'm demonstrating or whatever, go, oh it wouldn't work or you know, whatever, right? And I'll call them on it and what I'll say is, Oh, I'm sorry that, you know, the technique didn't work for you when you tried it knowing that they probably didn't try it, right? Well, everybody knows that you fight this way. Really? Hmm, interesting. Well, if everybody knows, don't you think your attacker already knows what you're going to do? Don't you think he already is prepared for that? Okay. If he's bigger, faster, stronger, better equipped, more skilled, don't you think that's going to cause a huge problem if he knows what you're going to do because you fight like everybody else? Hmm. If you're the underdog, if it's a self-defense situation and not, you know, pushing, shoving, whatever, right? A fight, fight, right? Sport fight, whatever, right? If you're outgunned, you better not fight like everybody else. Because if you do, you're going to die like them. It's just not, it's not, it's not the ninja way. <laughs> it's just you got to fight like everybody else because otherwise you're cheating. Not doing anything he didn't do. Did he not cut me from the herd because he thought that the fat old bald guy was an easy target? I didn't agree to be in this situation. It's not a fight. Right? I'm outgunned, outnumbered, whatever. Okay? What did he do? He arranged the situation so that the odds were in his favor. Yes? My job in winning this thing to rearrange the odds in my favor, not to fight based on his rules, not to try to save myself based on his rules, which is why we learn weapons. And I will use weapons on an unarmed person. If I'm outgunned and I believe that my life is in physical, if I'm in, in threat of physical you know, like maiming or death. You bet. Yeah. You bet. Not how it is in Australia, but here in the States, I'm legally justified for that because I'm outgunned and I'm in fear of serious bodily injury or death. Anyway. All right. So uh, anything else? There was a question that somebody had that we should get to uh, that was not related to the red pill, blue pill. Of course, maybe it is. Uh, that was from uh, from YouTube, James T six eight one. I'm new to your videos. I enjoy them very much. Can training overcome a bigger and stronger opponent in a street fight? Does it depend upon the quality of the training? Okay. I think I saw. I think he left a. a message on one of the videos earlier and I was going to get to that um, as well but yeah we'll do it in this context this is great 
So my answer to the original broader thing that you had was um, I was good. The short answer is it depends on training, but see, that's too vague. It depends not just on the quality of training, because whatever you're doing, right? If, if you're, you know, doing MMA stuff and you're earnestly learning the lessons and you're training the skills and you're working for skill proficiency and, and all that kind of stuff, that's great, right? That's quality training. But what's the problem you're trying to solve? Saying that somebody is bigger or faster or whatever doesn't give me enough. And I'll give you a for instance, okay? If somebody were to say, how would you defend against somebody trying to kick you? I would start asking questions, okay? What kind of kick, okay? Is it a circular kind of kick, right? Is it a straight on kick kind of thing? Um, what's our environment like? Okay. Am I boxed in with somebody? So it's going to be more of a shin or a knee or, right, I'm really jammed or I have a problem moving one way or the other, right? Um, am I sitting and they're standing? All kind, there's all kinds of questions to be asked, right? So, there's a term in at least uh, American legal system that's known as void for vagueness. Like a law must be understandable to people who read it, right? At a certain level. You, in, in the states, you don't. You're not supposed to need a law degree to translate a damn law. Now they've gotten way far away from that, but there is this issue of void for vagueness, right? And I believe that goals and including training goals and all that kind of stuff, right, can be void for vagueness because while they sound like they're enough, they're often not, okay, because there's too many specifics. There's too many variables, right, and especially in a situation, okay. So I understand somebody bigger than me, but what's the difference ratio-wise, right? What's the age difference? Right. What's the physical fitness kind of thing? Right. I mean, could they bench press me? Right. Whatever. Okay. What's the attack? So I believe that the quality of training comes after general awareness. Right. My students, when they first join, right, what do they get? They get the eight, it's a strategic model of eight phases of strategic self-defense, right? And that both functions as a, as an outline for making sure that you've, you've got skill sets in all eight areas, right? Well, at least seven of them, right? Because the first one is general awareness. General awareness is not paying attention to your surroundings. Phase two is situational awareness. That's what most people will talk about when they talk about awareness. Okay. What most people do when they get involved in self-defense or martial art is they jump right over general awareness. And general awareness starts with knowing that danger exists in the world and it can touch me or somebody that I care about where I may need to, to act. We all get that, right? In the context of this presentation, 
I'm I'm singing to the choir because that's you know, people, duh, right? That's what most people think. But that's not where it stops. Okay, what are you most likely to encounter? Okay, how do people in your area, the thugs, the you know whatever, right? The ones you're most likely to be attacked by, right? Probably not going to be attacked by a white white crane kung fu stylist who's going to come at you with one of these little you know. Uh, <laughs> bird pecking kind of strike, right? We call it a sheeton, Ken, but you know, whatever, right? So, but what are you most likely to deal with, right? Okay. 95 to 98% of attacks are easily handled by what we consider to be basics, but what do they look like? Okay. Our module one on the way to, to getting first degree black belt covers, gives people multiple op- or multiple techniques for handling the most common attacks. Single hand clothing grabs, double hand clothing grabs, uh, rear chokes, uh, you know, hook punches, kicks, grabs, that, that kind of thing, right? Um, but the way people would normally do them, right? Well, our martial art doesn't throw hook punches. Nobody gives a shit. You're probably not going to be defending against somebody from your martial art. The guy on the street is more... more I don't care if he's ever done boxing before or not, but based on the way movies and all that kind of stuff happened, American Taekwondo been modified for those kind of things and whatnot. What is he, what is he most likely to throw at you? Jabs, right crosses, uppercuts, or just fricking tackle your ass. Okay. Grab you from behind, whatever. Okay. So knowing what they are allows you to focus there first, right? We have the clarity of the problem. Because we need to think about, I don't care if we're talking about the personal development realm that I've been talking about with the red pill, blue pill, or we're talking about self-defense and survival. The sooner we can think about our training, air quotes for the audio only guys, right? The sooner we can think about our training as solutions to a problem, right? We're learning to use, we're learning tools techniques, tactics, strategies, processes, frameworks, and all that, that are applied as solutions to a problem, the sooner we're more clear about what and who we should be learning from, right? Because if I don't know how to handle that thing, right? Often teachers will ask, well, what are you afraid of? Well, like, you know, somebody punching me. Okay? How they punch Whatever, okay? What I'm afraid of now, from a self-defense survival standpoint, is nowhere close to what I was afraid of when I first stepped on the path. Not even close. And it's terrifying, which is what keeps me training. It's absolutely fucking terrifying. And no, I'm not going to explain it. Okay? But I will tell you that the me then, when I first started, that this was unthinkable. It wasn't even, and when I say unthinkable, like, oh, that never happened. Not that, I mean, like, it was unthinkable, like, wasn't even, wasn't even an idea in there. Okay. On top of that, I'm, what, 40 years older than I was when I started? 
So anyway, and, I mean, Carl, uh, Carl's my guy from uh, Australia, Western Australia, uh, law enforcement, right? On former law enforcement, right? Um, the answer to the question, bigger guy, faster guy, stronger, whatever, right? What kind of extra constraints do you have on on you above and beyond the self-defense doctrine for civilians? What else do you have, right? What might your job impose? What might, okay. So training is there, but I think training needs to be dictated the type of training that you need, right? I mean, can you imagine, right, a part going out in your car, right? Somebody says it's, I don't know, let's just say it's a headlight bulb, right? You don't even check, right? The serial number or the the type of bulb or whatever, right? You just go to the store and look around. Oh, it's a headlamp. Eh, that'll work. You just grab it and go. Okay. Well, I need a headlamp bulb. Yeah. What's the socket size? What's the okay. so this is no different. This is no different. But people tend to skip over things because they they just think of self defense as fighting. Right? That these just these fight skills. Right? But in, in our eight phases thing, we have general awareness, situational awareness, escaping to safety. What does that look like? Okay? Because escape to, escaping to safety also includes hiding techniques because if i can't physically leave the area what i need to do is escape from his eye line his sight line so that he can't see me if he can't see me not wasting ammunition in my direction or i present myself in a way that escapes his perception of target or threat which means if i'm in an active shooter kind of situation and i can't get out i can't move or whatever I just might have to throw my body on the ground, grab some blood, smear it on me, and just play dead. Okay? And then there's two de-escalation phases, distracting and dissuasion, right? Dissuasion can be everything from telling somebody, look, I know what you're planning. It's not going to be an easy ride, and even if you win, you're going to remember my name for the rest of your fucking life. Okay? So let's not do this today, shall we? could be that, or it could be. Call 911. Okay, dissuasion is convincing him that, right? Then phase six, it's physical self-defense because if none of that shit worked all the way up to there or he jumped out of a van and he's already on you, okay, great. But let's not forget the two attackers that are going to happen afterwards or could happen, and that's PTSD, where your own system shuts down on you or backfires on you, and or the legal system turning on you. Because if you're not prepared for those two things, then you're not actually focused on self-defense. You're focused on fighting. Okay. I don't know if this helped or not, but I hope it, I know it didn't give a specific thing, but hopefully it pointed to more clarity or the need for more clarity. Anything else in there, James? No, I think that was it. Okay. So, uh, as a quick rounding up here, um, we had some computer glitch, and we're not really computer, computer glitches. We had a problem with our hosting service that screwed up my freaking website. Uh, did screw it up. It just kind of threw things off track. I had a plan moving forward with this 37 Fundamentals program that I'm jonesing to release here. 
Um, we're going to push it back one more week here because I need to give people enough time to enroll in this thing. So what I'm going to do uh, to make up for the little bit, because I know I've got some people chomping at the bit to get started with this thing. Um, but this Thursday coming up, I'm going to do another free webinar on one, another section from the Sanji Shichi Dobo, right? Just consider it another gift. Okay. So um, we did one part of the, what we do? We did one part of the, um, the precursor to this whole thing, right? The Four Noble Truths. We did that last week. The first webinar in the series was uh, the seven characteristics of an enlightened mind. That's the end goal of this thing. And then I'm, I'm looking, I'll have the stuff posted by tomorrow, but I'm looking at like pulling one exercise out of one of those seven uh, categories, right, for study that we're going to be looking at. And uh, we're, we'll, we'll look at, obviously, the setup and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I'm, I'm just going to give everybody an exercise, just like I would in the actual program. So even if you don't enroll in the um, in these Sanji Shichi Dobom 37 Fundamentals, on the path leading to enlightenment, liberation, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, you will have a taste of what uh, those students' uh, weekly assignments will be like, right? Which should produce positive change. But only if they're doing the assignment <laughs> more than once, right? Well, this week I can only eke out 10 minutes to do this stuff. Really? That's interesting, because somehow you eked out time to come to class, which was more than 10 minutes. Okay. Anyway, okay. And this this begin, this goes back to the red pill, blue pill kind of thing, right? We tell ourselves all kinds of bullshit, right? But the reality is, is we make time and we find the resources to do that which we really, really want to do. So if telling a story about how we can't then the bs includes telling other people that you expect them to do the hardship it's kind of like I, I had a teenager um finally got that fixed but we had a teenager who would like you know finish the toilet paper roll this is something simple right if you can't do simple things how the hell are you going to do all the complicated things necessary to accomplish goals right but they leave the toilet tissue thing undone or like empty right Toilet paper supplies right there, right it's near the toilet, right? So why don't you change it? Well, I keep forgetting how to like work the little thing to to change the. Really, you have a supercomputer in the palm of your hand, and you can Google cheat codes for your favorite video game, but you can't Google how. To, I'll show you. I'll show you one more time, right? Well, they were just consistently not. They. they had access to information. They were being taught how to do it and whatnot. So finally, what I said was, you obviously think you're better than everybody else. No, no, I don't. Well, you have to. Okay? You have to. You believe that you are above the dirty work. You're just going to leave a problem for somebody else. That That screams... That is beneath me. Everyone else can do that. I only do the stuff 
that, and really <laughs> most people don't, right? <laughs> they want the benefits, but they don't want to work the process. And you can't get the benefits without working the process unless you go to a social services agency and fill out paperwork and lie your ass off. And you can create those kind of stories and you can generate a dream worth worth uh, living. Because we all have it. The problem is, you know, just procrastination and laziness, right? Is that stronger than the pull of the goal? Because as long as as long as we're comfortable, that blue pill is going to be the easiest pill to swallow every freaking time. Every time. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that right, and then we're what three weeks away from spring camp. That's nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty-first. Um, you can find information about that on onlineninjaacademy.com forward slash events. We have a couple of other events that are up there. We've got a couple of gun seminars that are happening in June, right? End of June. Is that right? Um, for yes, those of you who are waiting for me to schedule the meeting that I'm going to be describing the Japan trip, um, I may have had a major foobar right, in all the stuff that's going on. I forgot that there was a window in there that I already had something planned. It's a family thing that I – it's not that I can't. I won't change. So I have to adjust the dates for the Japan trip, which means I also have to adjust the date for the fall camp. We don't have signed up for that yet anyway, so that's fine. Um, but I'll make that shift, and then here in the next week or two, I will be scheduling a meeting, uh virtual meeting, for anybody that's interested in either going uh to Japan this year or um, in one of the upcoming ones. Just know that I have a limit of eight people on any of these trips. Okay, limit of eight. That's it. That's all there is. Okay, because I'm not managing more people than that. And just in case drama comes up, I don't want to have to leave more than one person behind. <laughs> That's what it is, right? Anyway, right? And for those who want to know what my, what the trips are like and how much and where we're staying and all that kind of stuff, I appreciate it. Um, I'll be answering those. Okay. Um, but as I told one student who um, was asked to not come back to the dojo during our last trip, okay, because they went to Japan and thought that they were getting everybody else to pay for their ride. They were going to be using all kinds of excuses as to why they couldn't. Uh, they were going to manipulate the group and they were going to think that they could get credit. Like, I'm, I want this rank, but I don't have the money for that. But you, see, you just give it to me and I'll owe you and I'll pay you once I get back. And they don't play that game. Uh, the master teachers, <laughs> they don't play that game at all, right? And the last thing is um, some of you guys uh, know I reference him uh, between uh, Whiteboard Wednesday and Kudan and whatnot because he'll often strafe in and drop a question or whatever. Uh, my guy, Chris McLaurin, uh, he's a second on in the dojo. Uh, he has been uh, dealing with health issues for quite a while. And uh, Chris right now is at John Hopkins uh, Medical Center in Maryland. I think it's in Maryland, right? It's not in D.C. It's in Maryland, I think. I think. Anyway, it's at John Hopkins, right? Um, he has been on a list for a donor kidney for a long time. And I got the call Friday or Saturday 
I'd have to look it up. But either way, um, he was on his way. He got the notification, had three hours to get there. Um, Chris is the recipient of a new kidney. Uh, surgery went well. He's healing well. We're just hoping that, you know, the, the kidney takes and there's no rejection or anything like that. So uh, he'll be off for about, I don't know. Well, he's he, he sent a he posted a picture online. He was already had his notebook out and he was studying and stuff. So he's okay. So, um, but uh, we we're absolutely ecstatic. The, the guys around the dojo were just like over the moon, so to speak, because um, Chris should be coming back stronger and better and all that. So we're absolutely happy for him. So way to go, brother. I know you'll be listening to this. Um, but that's that's what I have, right? So any any other last minute questions or comments before I wrap this up, James? Uh, James just said thank you. No problem, no problem. Um, I just hope it wasn't too much overwhelming or whatever, because I what people tend to pay me for is the tactical and strategic thinking that isn't all that conventional. Okay? Not that nobody else does it, right? It's just that. Everybody runs around trying to learn techniques or scripts or the how-to, but they don't they 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 don't have the discernment abilities to apply it uh, appropriately. Okay, and uh, again, this is something that'll come up in the Sanji Shichidobon program. It's in the uh, first seven steps in the Path of the Buddha program. It's in the Ninja Mind program. Um, just enlightenment is not about the answers. You can get answers easily. You're surrounded by answers every day. Enlightenment comes from questions. And the more the higher the quality of the question, the better the answer. And that's it, right? All right, so red pill, blue pill, right? Every moment. Every moment, right? And don't forget that challenges are not just painful challenges. The choice to kick back on the couch with your bonbons watching the 4700th rerun of the same freaking episode, right? And not doing that, but sitting to do meditation or to research whatever or to whatever is going to move you in the direction you say you want to be going in. That's a huge challenge as well. Not all challenges feel bad. As a matter of fact, some challenges just feel all great, warm and fuzzy. They, they're even harder to avoid. Right? All right. James, you have anything else you want to throw on top of this fire before we wrap it up? No, sir. No. All right. Well, sir, I will see you tomorrow. Everybody else, see you next week. Uh, unless you're going to join me for Whiteboard Wednesday, Wednesday at 3 o'clock on, uh, well, I'm on YouTube and a bunch of other places. But anyway, um, otherwise, I'll see you next week on Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio, subscribe through your favorite podcasting site, or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.